Welcome to Midweek, a place where we dive deep into Scripture. So grab your Bible, a pen, and a notebook, and get ready to study God's Word. All right, so tonight, if you want to open up your Bibles to John chapter 7, uh, we're going to look, uh, we're going to travel verses 1 through chapter 7, verse 1 through 30, but by way of introduction to give an idea of what is one of these main ideas running through these 30 verses of chapter 7, let me take you back to about two weeks ago, I think it was, a week and a half ago. Um, how many remember Kenny Bustamante? Anybody remember Kenny Bustamante? Kenny was a servant here for over 20 years, and he really served in the church, and he was one of these dedicated guys, and um, he passed away. And uh, if you knew Kenny, uh, we, uh, these are stories, and, and, and we all knew, who, those who know him know this is true. He's a real historian, uh, especially when it comes to the Dodgers or World War II. He could tell you everything about the Dodgers and everything about World War II. There's nothing he did not know about those things. And the testimonies came out about that too. And he just had this mind. And hen- Kenny was handicapped. And we all know he's handicapped. But boy, he had that mind to recollect things. He could learn things. And it, it was just incredible what he could recollect and what he could remember. But one of the things about Kenny is, is that Kenny was one of the greatest servants you will ever meet in your life. This guy was dedicated to serving, and I have never, I don't know that I've met too many people more um, evangelistic than Kenny Bustamante. He would tell everybody about Jesus Christ. He was fearless, he was bold, and guys, he was handicapped. We had one time, we were wondering, I told the story during the service for him, that he was, we were losing our Bibles in the prayer room, we were taking our Bibles, they're missing. You know, why we're buying cases of them, and all of a sudden they're gone, we don't know who's, who's stealing Bibles from the church. And so um, one day we caught him. It was Kenny. He would sneak, come in during the midweek. He'd sneak, I'd go, who, where's Kenny going? He snuck in there and he'd come out with a case and he's taking the Bibles with him. And what he would do is he'd go down to when his, he was, he'd live with his niece and they'd go watch the kids' games. He'd go there and to all the people, he doesn't even know the people. And he's going to every one of them and passing out a Bible to every one of them and sharing faith. And, and then this, the, the, the niece told me a week later, he'd see the people and then he asked him, did you read the Bible? <laughs> I, you know, did you read that Bible I gave you? And he, he's doing all these things. He's just sharing his faith. So this guy was so bold and such a servant uh, in his life. And then, as I shared in the service, once he found out that my dad uh, was in World War II, that's all it took right there. Because now he was my best friend. He's going to talk to me all the time about World War II. I mean, and he was very repetitious. If you knew him, whatever he told you last week, he's going to tell you the same thing this week. That's just, that's, that, that was Kenny right there. But what, Kenny got cancer. And so uh, as Kenny was dying, and he went through a lot of pain, but he would not take any pain medication whatsoever. This is his niece and his sister both confirmed this story as they're sharing these things to me. And so they're trying to get him to take stuff. And everybody's trying to get him... And the nurses and the doctors said, you got to take the pain medication or you're, you know, you're going to die, this and that. And, and he said this to, his, to, the, to them and to the, his sister. To the, here's what I quote. Here's what Kenny said. No doctor or nurse can tell me when I'm going to die. Only Jesus can tell me when I'm going to die. And he was right. Because only Jesus holds the power over life and death, does he not? And so he stood there, and he stood on that to the very end. He understood that Jesus has control of my life, and no one can tell me who, when my life ends. Only Jesus can do that. Now, let me take that idea right there, and let me share with you uh, 
by introduction, and you'll see in the story, our scriptures today, that holds true. Because Jesus, in this story, there's going to be this push for him to reveal himself, and he says, my time is not on hand. My hour is not here. You see this consistently in the life of Jesus, that he's going to decide when he dies, and he's going to decide how it's going to go. And so even though we see eventually the, the, he's betrayed, and the Romans take him, and the, of the whole shot, we know that Jesus is in control of all of it. He is never not in control. And he will decide when it happens. Same thing holds true if you read other characters in the Bible. Like, remember when um, Nebuchadnezzar throws Daniel in the lion's den? And we, the assumption by Nebuchadnezzar is, what's going to happen to Daniel that night? He's going to die because he's going to spend the night in the lion's den. Does Daniel die? No, he doesn't. Because only God decides when we die, when we go, and how that's going to happen. And so the same holds true with Kenny, same holds true with Jesus, same holds true with Daniel. So you'll see this whole idea of Jesus, my time is not at hand. So Jesus, no matter what's going on, is always in control of the entire situation and when he's going to die. Same holds true for you and I. Now, I won't get into it theologically, but let me just state, it doesn't matter if a person passes at age 2 or 82, Jesus is in control of everything. I can't answer the questions off of that one right there. Because I'm not God, I have a little finite pea brain, but one day I'll know as I have been known, and I will understand everything, and so will you, and things will make sense that we can't answer here on earth. Amen to that one right there? Okay, so <clears throat> here we go. We're going to start in John uh, chapter 7, and um, we're going to start off, yeah, John chapter 7. So it says, after these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee, for he was unwilling to walk in Judea, because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now, the Feast of the Jews, the Feast of Booths, was near. Now, there's a really good application you can take from that first verse that Jesus is not going to go walk in Jerusalem because what do they want to do to him? They want to kill him. So you never put yourself in danger unnecessarily. Amen? But more importantly, what is he saying? He's saying, look, I know I'm going to die, but I'm going to die the way I choose to die. I'm going to die on my time frame. Now, time frame. It's giving you a time frame of how time is progressing in the life of Jesus in that day because now the feast that's at hand is the Feast of Booths or it's called Tabernacles also. Now, that happens in the fall. Now, all you have to do now, think, in the fall, it's approaching fall now. Keep your marker here. Go back to John chapter 6 and look at verse 4 in the feeding of the 5,000. In John 6, 4, it gives you another time frame. It says, now the Passover of the Feast of the Jews was near. Huh. So the feeding of the 5,000 happens as they're approaching Passover, which is March, April. And now in chapter 7, now they're approaching the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. So we've gone from spring and now we're heading into the fall. So now we're watching the time frame continue now. We know that Jesus will allow himself to be taken months later in the next time Passover. So you see how everything's moving forward. Now, the Feast of Booths, Tabernacles, what in the world is that? This is a, a, a feast a designed, in a nutshell, for them to remember that they traveled, their ancestors came out of Egypt, crossed over the Red Sea, and they traveled through the desert on their way to the promised land. And so they didn't live in permanent dwellings. They lived in whatever their tents or whatever they made. And so that's the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths. It was to remind them of their travelings and eventually coming into the promised land. Now, what's important about the Feast of Tabernacles 
And the, what the brothers are going to tell Jesus in a second is, is this. There were three major feasts of the seven or eight major feasts. There's three major ones that every male Jewish man had to go to Jerusalem and he had to be part of. He had to make a pilgrimage there. And the first one is unleavened bread connected to Passover. The second one is Pentecost. And the third one is this Feast of Tabernacle. They all point to the future. Every one of the feasts points to the future if you read them and look at them. But these three are particularly interesting because as you read it, unleavened bread, Passover, that pointed to Jesus Christ and the crucifixion, correct? Because he's our Passover. And then the second one they had to go to was Pentecost or Feast of Weeks. So uh, uh, at Pentecost, that points to the church being born. And then the third one is tabernacles or booths traveling through the desert on the way to the promised land. That points to heaven. You and I are strangers and aliens traveling through this world on our way to heaven, correct? So the three took you from the crucifixion to the birth of the church to eventually getting into heaven. Those are the, those are the three of which every male uh, Jewish man had to go to. Now watch, because every male has to go. Watch what the brothers of Jesus tell Jesus in verse 3 and 4. It says, Therefore his brothers said to him, Leave here and go into Judea, so that your disciples also may see your works which you are doing. For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Now, his brothers are pushing him now. He says, since you have to go to Jerusalem, since every male has to go to Jerusalem, why don't you go there, and while you're there, do your, some of your signs, do that stuff, and reveal yourself so everyone knows who you are. Make yourself known. Question, has Jesus ever performed any signs or miracles so he could make himself known? And the answer is no. Every time he did something, what did he typically tell somebody? Tell what? Nobody. Tell no one. Don't, 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 don't do any of these things. Now, <clears throat> The brothers who are pushing Jesus to the Feast of Booths, Feast of Tabernacles, what they don't realize is they're pushing him there to die, which would be out of the time frame of Jesus, correct? So they're pushing him to become out of the will of God. They don't know that, but they're pushing him to be out of God, the Father's will on the time frame. Question, has anyone here in this room ever tried to force the will of God? Everybody raise your hand right now, okay? Let's be honest right now. Every one of us has tried to force the will of God. Who, what Christian hasn't done that? We've all tried to do that. One of the best examples of the tragedy of forcing the will of God is Abraham, remember, Sarah, and God says, you'll have a child. This will be the golden child through which all the nations bless. So the line comes, and then they're older, so they decide, because time's passing by, and we're not getting pregnant, so they decide, Sarah says, because she's come up with this brainstorm of an idea, maybe God meant that you're to have the child since I don't seem to get pregnant, and you know, I'm sitting here on the porch with my white hair, and I'm 78 years old, and maybe it's my maidservant, Hagar, maybe that's the one. And you know, Abraham says, sounds like a great plan to me. And so he goes into her, they have sex, and you know, she gets pregnant, and she has a child. What's the name of the child from Hagar? Ishmael. So he's the product of an Egyptian mother and a Jewish dad. That's where you get the line of the Arab nations. It all started right there. Every one of them, about 4,000 years ago, from that out of the will of God, and now you have this friction and schism constantly in the Middle East, do you not? 
And it all started because they went out of the will of God, and these are the consequences of it 4,000 years later. It's still consequences there. That is crazy. But that's a great example of, hey, no matter what, run the course, stay the will of God, let him bring it to pass, and don't try to force it in some way that's going to turn out to have, well, tragic circumstances for you. Now, verse 5 says this. For not even his brothers were believing in him. Isn't that crazy? Come on, go show yourself. Go down there. Show everybody who you are. And the reason is, they don't even believe in him. And we also know that one day they try to come and get him. Remember the family tries to get him because they think he's insane? Remember that? So they don't even believe in him whatsoever. Now, <clears throat> question. The brothers of Jesus, and by the way, Jesus, in case you grew up Catholic and didn't know this, Mary had other children, did she not? Yes. You got to know that. Mark chapter 6, verse 3, if you don't know where the verse is, Mark 6, 3. Now, one of the brothers here within the family that are not believing him is, we know him as the name what? James. Not James, one of the 12 disciples. This is James, the brother of Jesus, who writes the New Testament letter, James. He becomes a follower of his brother. He realizes, my brother is the God-man, Jesus Christ. Now, keep your marker here. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15. Now, watch this. Now, you come over here, and you watch what Paul writes about people who saw the resurrected Christ, who believed in him. And we'll read verses 3 to 7. It says this. For I delivered to you as of first importance. <clears throat> In other words, you got to get this. This is really important. This is first importance. What I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Now, stop right there before I get into James. That is what you call an early creed. These are statements, and they have a rhythm to them, and they're creedal, called creedal arguments. And you find them in Scripture. These predate the, the written word before they wrote down these letters. And these were creeds they would pass on. And many people couldn't read, so they could memorize the creed. And so you have this. One of them, a nerdy creed, is uh, Romans 10, 9, and 10. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. These are early creedal arguments. They date these scholars, atheist, skeptic, and believing scholars, New Testament, date these things to within the first six months to a year after the resurrection of Jesus. These are very, very important arguments to the validity of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is an early creedal argument right here. And Paul is stating it. He's not one of the 12. Now, verse 5, it says, And that he appeared to Cephas. We know that's Peter. Then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. Then to all the apostles, of course, he says, and last of all, he appeared to me in verse 8. So Jesus appears to James. Now, James sees his brother Jesus resurrected because he knew his brother was crucified. This, they all know this. And he sees his brother and he believes he puts faith in his brother Jesus. Now, I like to ask the question. You've heard me do this about 10 times. What would it take for you to believe that your brother's the Messiah? What would it take? Right? That would, it's like, no, he's not. Well, he is. Wow. You know, because this, your, your brother, you know, the Messiah? Yeah. Do you know... Which means that James, who becomes the head of the church in Jerusalem, Acts chapter 15, this James' brother, 
So he believes his brother becomes a Messiah. So much so, so sold out that his brother's a Messiah, that Josephus, the historian, he writes that in 62 AD, the Sanhedrin pushed James, the brother of Jesus, off the Temple Mount and killed him for his faith. This is how much he believed that his brother was a Messiah. Think about that. This is a great testimony to the reality that Jesus Christ rose from the dead because his own brother, and he dies for that kind of faith right there. Now, let's go back to John chapter 7. Now, here's your first point if you're taking notes, and that's this. When we walk according to the scriptures, expect opposition. Amen? Have you ever gotten opposition? Yeah, absolutely. Well, hopefully you have. If you're sharing there, look at verse 6, 7, 8 of John 7. It says, so Jesus said to them, my time is not yet here, but your time is always opportune. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its deeds are evil. Go up to the feast yourselves. I do not go up to the feast because my time has not yet fully come. Now, he says to the brothers, remember, they're trying to get him to go up to the Feast of Tabernacles, correct? He says to the brothers, okay, wait, 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 guys, 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 okay, you can go because they're not trying to kill you, okay? That's basically what he's, what he's telling. They're not trying to kill you. You can go. You're one of them, basically. They're not going to try to kill you, but they're going to try to kill me because why? Because I testify that their deeds are what? Evil. Their deeds are evil, and this is why they want to kill me. Now, we're watching this in our culture more and more, are we not? We testify that the culture's deeds are evil. Do we not? Yeah, we, we do. We all testify. I mean, right now, the battle is raging, and I can't even stand to look at any of the headlines on Facebook because, to me, they're very ludicrous. They make no sense whatsoever. But the battle now, with the whole overturning of Roe v. Wade, this, this, it's a big battle now, is it not? But it's brought it back to what it was originally supposed to be, let the states decide. This is what it was. It was done incorrectly back in 73. Let the states decide. But now there's a big battle. We as Christians, and I'll look out there in case somebody uh, uh, watching this one day, um, we do not believe in abortion. I say that because a lot of Christians do believe in that. A lot of them do. And that's a sad thing because they're syncretistic. They believe they've taken Jesus and they filled Jesus with everything else. And that's wrong. And that's sin. And that's where we've come to. And that's why you've got to make these, these, these hard statements. But when we say abortion is wrong, they hate us, don't they? I mean, they get angry. They just hate us. And, they say, and they'll call us haters and intolerant and all these things. But always remember, take their... And by the way, never ever debate with somebody who's just getting angry. The Bible says do not speak in the presence of a fool because they either rage or laugh. You're wasting your time. You're just wasting your time. But if everybody, if you ever want, if they ever want a dialogue with you, just say, look, wait, 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 wait. I hate you. Yeah, you might, you hate me. Wait. So I would say this. Let's say you have children and your children are 8, 10, 13, and they want to do something you deem is wrong. And you tell them, no, you can't do that. That's wrong. That's wrong. Does that mean you hate them because you told them it was wrong? And they, well, that's not, no. Does that mean you hate them because you told them it was wrong? And the answer is no. What does it mean? It means that you what? You love them because you've got the guts and the backbone to tell them that is wrong. And that's, that's a logical little philosophical stance that you could take with people. Think of it, always take it into different arenas and think of it logically. 
because their logic doesn't make any sense. But they will hate us because we testify that their deeds are evil. Don't find it strange, guys. Don't find it strange. Quickly, keep your marker here. Look at John chapter 15. Look what Jesus says in John 15. He reaffirms it, and he'll reaffirm it again after that. Look at John 15, 18. These are Jesus, words in red, man. He says, if the world hates you, we know that it has hated me because it hated you. In other words, as we testify and stand up for certain moral values, they hate Jesus. Well, guess who they're going to hate too? They're going to hate us. So don't find it strange when that starts to happen. Now, that tells me as a follower of Christ, even more than ever, and I've always believed very strongly that the scriptures are clear on this, that I need the baptism in power in my life. And I need it regularly, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I need to have the boldness and the power to stand up and not be afraid of anything. Too many Christians are terrified and they are afraid. Either they lack the boldness or they lack the confidence to be able to share their faith and give answers for what they believe. And we cannot live this way anymore because we are basically under attack and they're trying to shut us down the way they try to shut down the crowds, as we'll see in this same story here. That's what they're trying to do because they're going to label you hater, intolerant, you're a homophobe, you're this. No, I just have a disagreement with you. But they try to shut us down and make you feel like you're wrong. And no, you got to stand up for what is true in love. Don't get into yelling matches because that goes nowhere. It does nothing. Okay, now look at verse 9 and 10 back in John 7. Having said these things to them, he stayed in Galilee. So Jesus stays back. They go down to Jerusalem because he's up in the north in the Galilee area. But when his brothers had gone up to the feast, and by the way, notice it says gone up. That's because always remember that Jerusalem sits at 4,000 foot elevation. So even though you're traveling south and you get there, you're going to travel up. You're going to go up. Um, when they gone up to the feast, uh, then he himself also went up, not publicly, but as if in secret. Now, this is interesting, huh? They go. Jesus goes later. Did Jesus lie? Did he lie when he said, did he say, never say he wasn't going? Read it clearly. He's not lying when he didn't go and he goes later. He just never said he didn't go. He's not going with them because if he goes with them, what's going to happen again? They're going to kill him before the what? Before the time. And Jesus knows that. And that's all it means. Look, look at verse 4. Remember? Um, they said go publicly, right? Remember that? Okay, and then look at verse 10 again. It says he goes up in what? In secret. That's right. He doesn't want to go up publicly. And why? Look at verse 1. Because what are they trying to do? They're trying to kill him. So 1, 4, 10. You put all of it together and you see why. You guys go. You can be public. I'm going to go up later, and I'm going to be, you know, hiding out because my time has not yet come. Now, point two in your notes, and that's this. Satan doesn't change his strategy. Satan never changes his strategy. If it's been working for 6,000 years, guess what? Why change it? It continues to work. Now, look at verse 11 and 12. So the Jews were seeking him at the feast, and were saying, where is he? Verse 12. There was much grumbling among the crowds concerning him. Some were saying, he is a good man. Others were saying, nah. On the contrary, he leads the people astray. Let me say something first about that. Anybody ever be, a, have you ever been a boss or a lead in a lead position, whatever? Can you relate to that verse right there? They either love you or they what? Or they hate you. And I'll add to that, and some people who did love you eventually what? 
hate you. Isn't that crazy how, how fickle people are? I know that from my position. It's incredible that they love you or they hate you. And people that used to love you, oh, they hate you now because you don't agree with something. And you're not going to go with them on something because you're going to make your stance on your stance right there. And so that's just a leadership thing. If you don't want that to happen, don't rise up in leadership. Don't take a position as a boss. Don't do any of it because that's going to come at you. And that's just the way uh, this fickle, <laughs> fickle humans are. Now, notice, <clears throat> they state in verse, uh, what verse do we have? 12. They state in verse 12, what's the last verse? He leaves, last word in verse 12, he leaves the people what? Well, think about that. Jesus will say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the truth, and they're saying he leads people what? That's a satanic strategy right there. Jesus is the truth, but no, you lead people astray. The servant says, eat the fruit. Eve says, no, I'll sure, we'll surely die. God said that. And then the servant says, you surely shall not die. God knows the day you eat of it, you'll be like God. In other words, God gave her truth, right? And the serpent says, no, he's leading you astray. God's leading you astray. That's always a mainframe strategy of the devil because it works. It has always worked. Now, number three in your notes, and that's this. Pray for boldness. It's very simple. Pray for boldness. Verse 13. Yet no one was speaking openly of him for fear of the what? The Jews. Oh my gosh, Proverbs 29, 25, not in your notes, 29, 25, says the fear of man brings a what? A snare. You know the word snare in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word means? It means to put a noose around an animal and you can drag him away. You got a hold of him, you can't get away. The fear of man brings a snare. And it's easy to become afraid of people and shut down and not share your faith whatsoever. But the fear of man brings that snare in our life. Now, let me give you an example of why we need to pray for boldness because they're trying to shut them down there and they try to shut us down and yet we are the hope of the entire United States and world because we have the great message. Amen? And that's why they try to shut us down. Besides the fact there are real demons, there is a devil, there is a spiritual realm and they're going to try to shut us down. But let me give you a for instance. It's not in your notes. Acts 4, uh, 29 through 31. Acts 4, 29 through 31. One of my favorite little sections in the book of Acts because the disciples were arrested for what? Sharing their faith, correct? They have boldness. They've been baptized in the spirit and power in Acts chapter 2. They get arrested. Then they're released. But when they're released, guess what they tell them? We command you not to share about this Jesus anymore. You're commanded. You shut up now about this Jesus. Do they shut up? They never shut up. In fact, what they do when they get out is, it says they prayed for what? Boldness. Question, what got them in trouble in the first place? Boldness. And they get out, and they're told, shut up. They go, no, we're going to pray for more boldness. And it says in their prayer for boldness, it says the Spirit of God filled them again. They were already filled in Acts 2 by the power of the Spirit. And then they're filled again, which gives you a theological foundation that every day you need to be filled with the power of the Spirit of God. If we're going to carry the message, you could say, well, I don't agree with that. Oh, how many, how many times have you shared your faith then? Tell me this boldness you have out there. Because if you don't have boldness, don't tell me you don't need the boldness of the Spirit of God. This is what Jesus gave. He sent it to the church people every morning. When you wake up, say, fill me with the power of the Spirit again, Jesus. Fill me again and give me opportunity and give me the boldness to walk through those doors of opportunity. 
That's what we need. We need to be lit up again. The church is so complacent in America. In third world countries, they're burning up and people are getting saved because why? The baptism of the Holy Spirit is just out of control in those places. It's incredible. But we become too sophisticated for that kind of stuff, yet it's in Scripture. I know I'm preaching now. I'll calm down, okay? But I get excited about it. Now, verse 14, 15. But when it was now the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began to teach. Now, wait a minute. He goes south. He heads to Jerusalem. He gets there late in the middle of the feast. And it's last like seven days or eight days, eighth day is of it. And so in the middle, he shows up in Jerusalem. He goes into the temple, right? Okay, verse 15. The Jews then were astonished, saying, how has this man become learned, having never been educated? Isn't that a repeat question from the past? Don't they keep questioning that? They always ask, wait a minute, you didn't go to our rabbi school? You didn't go to our Sanhedrin school? You didn't go to our Pharisee school? Hey, show us your diploma. You got none of that stuff. How did you be? And they're actually saying, how did you become so smart? Let me tell you, read your Bible, consistently studying it, reading it, you'll become very smart. You'll become very smart and very wise. Because these words are spirit and they are life. Any amens of that one right there? Now, they always do this to him because remember before we talked about that day, they come up to Jesus and say, by what authority do you do these things? And who gave you this authority? Right? Remember that? What they're saying is, show us your credentials. Show us your credentials. Because he doesn't have them. He's not a Pharisee. He's not a scribe. He's not a rabbi. He's not any of these things. So they want the credentials. Now, verse 16. Here's his answer for his credentials. This is going to be a mic drop, okay? You know what that means? It means you can't top this, he says. So Jesus answered them and said, My teaching is not mine, but his, capital H, who sent me. Look up. Jesus goes, mic drop, walks away. <laughs> How do you top that? You want to know what my credentials are? I got them from God the Father. And that's it. I mean, he laid it out. Here's what I like about that statement. Does he have a foundation for his moral teaching? Yes, God the Father, God's word. When you run into a non-believer, atheist, etc., and their morals are all out of whack, do they have any foundation for their moral stance? And the answer is no. They have nothing. You ask them, what do you base that on? Oh, it's going to come down to what they feel and what they think. And that's all it's going to come down to. And you can take the logic and say, so I can say then, I've watched ID Channel plenty of times. There are plenty of murderers who feel like murder is a good thing. So that's what they feel. They're going to say, that's ridiculous logic. No, it's wisdom logic. Because you and I have a foundation for what we believe. And these scriptures, historically, we have more evidence of the authentication of these scriptures than any other book that exists right now. We have 5,800 extant copies just of the original languages, not the original autograph, but of the copies of those things, early ones, and that's not counting the 20,000 other copies, manuscripts in other languages that have been discovered. We have so much. We have so much. And our scriptures are true and they're right. And Jesus said, this is the truth. And we stand on it. We stand on these things. So we have a foundation for it. Now, here's a cool thing. Look at verse 16 again. If you go fast, you miss it. If you go slow, you might catch it. So Jesus answered them and said, My teaching is not mine, but his ascent. Did he say teaching or teachings? Teaching. 
singular. That's a very important little catch right there, guys. Let me show you why. Turn to, Mark right here, turn to Colossians chapter 2. Look at this, and then we're going to jump again. And you see it in your notes where we're jumping to. But look at Colossians 2. Now watch what it says right here. It says in verse 22, talking about um, asceticism, man's teachings. Um, verse 22 says, which all refer to things destined to perish with you in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. Teaching or teachings? Oh, that interesting, isn't it? Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. You want to get down, down and dirty in this thing right now. Watch this. Oh, this is one of my cool little verses. I like, I like 1 Timothy chapter 4. Watch what it says over here. He says, uh, but the Spirit explicitly says that in the later times, some will fall away from the faith. Wow, we haven't seen that, huh? Paying attention to deceitful spirits and, 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 and what? Doctrines, teachings, plural? Teachings, right? Of demons. Now, when it says deceitful spirits, not only know it's just a side note here. Deceitful, the Greek word is planos. We get our word planet. And so ancient navigators, if they navigate, they would navigate by the stars, right? Because stars don't move in the night sky. If they made a mistake and navigated by a planet, a planos, do the planets move in the night sky? Yes, all you have to do is look at night, see Venus some nights, and it's there, and then all of a sudden it's gone. So it roves. Planets are rovers. That's the idea of the word there. You don't want to navigate your life by a rover. That's the, the atheist. They navigate by roving, what they think and feel. We navigate by the word of God. It's foundational. It's a star. It does not move. Does that make sense? Now, it's teaching, so. Instead of Jesus, who said teaching. What does Jesus mean? The teaching of the scriptures is in harmony. It doesn't disagree with itself. It's complete. But the teachings of men, are they all over the place? Do they contradict themselves? Are they hypocritical? Let me give you one. They would make people angry, but it doesn't make me mad. Well, I said this, it makes me mad when I see it, but uh, I said this like back at Centennial, and I remember, I remember when, I go, I remember I said that. But, um, so I'm watching, and I'll use uh, my own ethnicity here because that way I don't get in trouble. Um, but I'm watching, uh, you know, we have Hulu. And it shows you all these categories of things you can watch. And there's one come up, and it says, um, you know, black TV. And it's like, well, no problem. You could have whatever you want. It's America, right? But then you know that I could have Latino TV, right? But you know, if you're not Latino, but you're white, if you have white TV on there, guess what you're called? Oh, you're a racist. But it's not the other way around, is it? That's hypocrisy. I could throw a Miss Latino World Beauty pageant, and the world would applaud me. But if you throw a Miss White World Beauty pageant, oh, you're a racist. That's such hypocrisy. It's hypocrisy. And they don't see the contradiction of it. Isn't that crazy? That's, what they do. It's one of, that's a little example of how their teachings are all over the place. There's no harmony. There's no consistency to it whatsoever. Now, go back to chapter 7. Does that make sense to anybody? Okay, don't ask me questions. I can't answer them. Verse 17. It says, If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God 
or whether I speak of myself. Now notice, I want to just bring up something real quick here. He says, if anyone is willing to do the teaching, he will know. Do, then know. Not know, then do, but do, then know. It's kind of telling me that if I really want to understand the scriptures, I must be willing to obey the scriptures. Amen? i got to be willing to do this, then I'll really understand them. But if I'm just sitting going, I'm reading the scripture, but I'm not going to obey it, I'm not going to get understanding out of this thing because my heart's not willing to obey it. Do, then know. Now, point four in your notes is this. Jesus exposes their hypocrisy. And this is going to be brilliant. By, I mean, brilliant. And this is how you know only God in the flesh, I think, could have come up with this one, man. It's just a brilliant move by Jesus. Six verses, 18 to 24. Watch. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. But he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Did not Moses give you the law? Yet none of you carries out the law. Why do you seek to kill me? Whoa. He's not supposed to know that, is he? But he's God. And then as he says that, the crowd answered, You have a demon! Who seeks to kill you? I always love that. You have a demon! Who seeks to kill you? It's like, <laughs> they, they caught what he said, right? Verse 21, Jesus answered them, I did one deed, and you all marvel. I'll tell you what that is in a second. For this reason, Moses has given you circumcision, not because it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And on the Sabbath, you circumcise a man. And you're thinking, why is Jesus bringing that in right now? Because it's brilliant. He's just brilliant. We'll get there. Don't, we'll get there. Verse 22, if a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses will not be broken... Are you angry with me because I made an entire man well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Okay, here is the brilliant wisdom, how Jesus refutes these guys, and once again, they're, they're just going to be angry and speechless. Okay, he says, I did one deed, and you all marvel. What deed is he talking about? John 5, he heals the man at the pool of Bethesda, and he says, pick up your pallet, your little bedroll, and go home. What day of the week was that? Sabbath. Violating their man-made rules that they've taken from do no work on the Sabbath. But they made all these weird rules and everything. You could do nothing on that day. There's a lot of man-made rules off that. So Moses says, okay, <clears throat> none of you... They're saying, you, you, you broke the law. No, he, he only violated their man-made rules. He didn't violate the law of Moses when he healed the man. He says, and he tells them, none of you obeys the law of Moses because you seek to what? Kill me. Is thou shalt not murder an actual commandment? Yeah. He says, you're accusing me? And you're going to violate the Ten Commandments because you want to kill me? He says, you're a bunch of hypocrites. And then he brings in circumcision into their man-made rules. And this is what he does. He goes, listen, listen. <clears throat> you're angry with me because I healed a man on the Sabbath, violating your man-made rules? You guys, he points to him, he goes, you guys, you know that you circumcise a baby Jewish boy on the eighth day. So that means if a child was born a certain day, he might have, to, it might, the eighth day might be the Sabbath day, correct? So it can fall on that day. He goes, you 
circumcised Jewish boys, some of them, on the eighth day, on the Sabbath day, when it falls on the Sabbath. You violate your own man-made rules. See how wise he is? He turns it on him. Do you guys, did you catch that? Or am I, he goes, you violate your own man-made rules. And, and you're mad at me? Because I heal a man and make him well? Violating your man-made rules on Sabbath? He just nailed him. And then he says, don't judge by appearance sake, but judge, right. He goes, in other words, some people look real. They're not real. They're not real. They're, they're just fake. They're just fake. Now, verse 25. Didn't you, didn't you just love that exchange? I thought, it, he's so cool. I can't wait to see him in person. <laughs> verse 25. So some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, now the peace got the people talking. Now this is great. Uh, is this not the man whom they are seeking to kill? Look, he is speaking publicly because what weren't they allowed to do in public? Speak any of this. And they are saying nothing to him. In other words, he's not telling, nobody's telling him to shut up. The rulers do not really know that this is the Christ, do they? However, we know where this man come, is from. But whenever the Christ may come, no one knows where he is from. In other words, when they say, we know where this man's from, where do they think he's from? Nazareth. We know where he's from. But they say, but the Christ, we know we're not going to know where he's from. There was this tradition that, they, that said, when the Messiah came, he would appear suddenly and mysteriously. And that's what they're referring to. But they go, we know you're from Nazareth. We, we know your brothers. We've been there. We've met you before. So we know you, you're not the Messiah. Come on, get over it, Jesus. Verse 28. Then Jesus cried out in the temple. He's raising his voice, teaching and saying, you both know me and know where I am from. And I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. I know him because I am from him, meaning the Father, and he sent me. He says, you know who I am. I'm from heaven. Nicodemus, he tells Nicodemus, Noah has ascended, has ascended to heaven, but he who descended from heaven. He told them earlier in verse 16, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. He, you know this. You've seen all my signs, all the miracles. You know where I'm from. I'm from the Father. He is laying it down. You know where I'm from. I'm not from now. You know where I'm from. Now, let me drive it home in verse 30. So they were seeking to seize him. And no man laid his hand on him because his hour, oh, there it is again, his hour, his time had not yet come. They're, they're going to get him. We've got to kill this guy. But they can't get him because it's on Jesus' terms in Jesus' time. All right. Let me close with this, okay? Some of you might remember this from 20-some years ago, this story. Um, <clears throat> It's the story of Olivia, my wife, and our barbecue. Some of you remember the story. We had this barbecue back in the 90s. Just a regular barbecue. But the igniter broke. We'd had it for so many years and wouldn't light. So Olivia would like to barbecue. She likes barbecuing. I didn't grow up barbecuing because the beans always fall to the grill. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking, okay? Don't write me anything, okay? It's okay to laugh at our ethnicities, all right? Um, but um, she says, and so we have to light it with a long stick match. And so she goes, 
And she goes, you light it for me. I go, oh, why? <laughs> because she said, if I light it, it's going to blow up. <laughs> well, what if it blows up when I light it? And she said this, and I quote, no, God still has a lot of plans for you. You can't die. <laughs> it won't blow up on you. <laughs> so I would like the barbecue. And what she's saying was, my time, I will not die at the barbecue. That is not my hour. That is not my time. But it would be her time, okay? But it's true that his hour is not yet come. He's not going to die at this moment. His hour is on his terms and on his time. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. It's so good. It's so good. And I just pray, God, that we take some of these things and apply it and use it. Hopefully it helps. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media on Facebook and Instagram at NBCCNorco or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.